Welcome to the 98th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about the past week's NBA and college basketball action. So let's jump right in with a look at the NBA. Patrick, who were your most impressive teams of the week? I will start, well, there were actually six teams who went undefeated and uh, this week, so there were a lot of teams to be impressed by, but I will start with the Timberwolves because they're the worst team in the league that went three and, that went undefeated this week. They went 3-0 with wins over Miami, New Orleans, and Memphis. The, the win over New Orleans is, uh, I'd say that's expected. I think pretty much everybody in the league is expected to beat New Orleans at, at, at this point, um, but whoever doesn't, it looks really bad, um, but... And there have been some teams who did lose them this week, and we'll see them on the opposite side of this later. But um, they get that win, and then they get two actually pretty big wins. I mean, Miami is, I think, the number three seed in the East right now, if not the second best team by record so far. Um, obviously, that's not going to stand that long as the Bucks get healthy and come back and surge towards the top of the East again. But uh, for now, Miami's still a really good team, and I think they are still a strong contender for at least to get to the finals. So. Uh, it's still a big win for the Timberwolves, a team that is not supposed to be expected to be a contender. And even for even to beat Memphis, that's a team that if they want to even make the playoffs, that's another team they're going to have to be competing with one of the main competitors down at kind of the bottom end of the standings. So that's a big win for the Timberwolves. Uh, and overall, just going 3-0, and they're trending in the right direction. They've had some, uh, some off weeks this year. They've had some bad stretches, but five wins in a row, they are heading in the right direction. Uh, the next team I want to mention... I will go for the Warriors, obviously a, a definitely a much better team than the Timberwolves, pretty much expected at this point to win every game every week because they only have two losses on the year so far, uh, but this week they went 3-0 beating Philadelphia, Toronto, and Detroit, uh, not the strongest schedule, I mean Philly's a little bit weak, I don't know if Joel Embiid played in that game, he's been, he's been dealing with some injuries recently, um, obviously their Ben Simmons situation is still going on there, so they haven't they haven't had Ben Simmons all year, uh, so it's a little bit of an interesting situation there. But uh, Toronto has played decent throughout the year, so Toronto is a not not necessarily a great win, but uh, it, it, it deserves some credit. And then Detroit, yeah, okay, maybe not Detroit. But uh, moving on from the Warriors, the Hawks went 3-0 this week. They are my third most impressive team, uh, beating San Antonio, OKC, and Charlotte. Those are also not very great wins, other than the Charlotte win, I think. is a, I mean, Charlotte's a pretty good team, so they definitely deserve credit for that win. But uh, overall, the Hawks had struggled to start the year, and I think they started 4-8 or 4-9. and So for them to get back and uh, go 3-0 and kind of start to round back into the form that they that they uh, got to at the end of the year last year, which is how they made the, NBA, which is how they made the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, that's something that you like to see. You want to see teams doing well when they uh, when they did well last year and when they've really started to come up as a better team. They're now 10-9 and nine on the season. Uh, so they're playing really well right now, and uh, I think they deserve definitely some credit for that. Moving on, the last team, the Suns are went 4-0 this week. Uh, they, I mean, the Suns have just been on a tear recently. They have won 14 games in a row. They started the season 1-3 and three and have won all of their games since then. And guess what? They still don't have the best record in the league because of Golden State at 16-2, but that 15-3 and three is nothing to sneeze at, especially when they were 1-3 <laughs> uh, to start the year. It's just, it's crazy for them. Uh, and 
I mean, that's what you expect, though, after their run last year, I, I have to say. So it's not all too surprising. The Hawks also won a six-game winning streak there. And uh, some honorable mentions there, too. The Nets have won four in a row, and the Bucks have won five in a row. Um, and then, like I mentioned, that streak for the Hawks is six games. But uh, that, I mean, there are a lot of win streaks going on right now. But, I mean, I only could get to four of them. But uh, th- those teams were probably the most impressive this week. And I think, really, I excluded the Nets and the Bucks because that's what we expect them to do. While the Warriors just continue to impress me, if they keep winning at this rate, I'm still going to probably have them here every single week for the rest of the year because uh, even without, even with Clay Thompson, I still don't think that this team anybody would expect to be. I mean, frankly, I don't want to go too far with this, but they're 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 on pace at least I I think to be near that wins record that they set before. They are on a very very good pace. Sixteen and two is ridiculous. Um, so. They're on a really, really good pace in terms of wins so far, and I, I, I think they can keep it up, and they're going to get Clay Thompson back not, honestly, not too far from now because I think they said he started doing contract contact drills and five-on-five practices again. So the league's got to watch out because there's are, they're already a 16-2 team, and they're about to get back one of the best shooters of all time coming back from the se- coming back from an injury, and he will be playing probably, hopefully, the rest of the season after that. That's going to be tough for the league to deal with. And they don't even have James Wiseman either yet. So uh, the Warriors playing really well, and really all four of these teams and also some other teams playing really well. Yeah, the Suns, I think, were in our first week of most disappointing teams. Uh, we were like, what's wrong with the Suns the first Well, they week? were one and three. Yeah, they were number one most disappointing team, and uh, now as you've had them in the last several weeks, most impressive teams. But let's flip over to see who currently resides in that list, you don't want to be on the most disappointing teams of the week. Uh, yeah, the next team, well, the first team of the most disappointing teams uh, is the, are the Nuggets. They went 0-3 this week. Actually, one of the only, well, one of the only good winless teams this week. There were a lot of bad teams that we all know are, you know, pretty bad. I mean, that, that are expected to be uh, winless almost every week at this point, uh, like Detroit and Orlando. But uh, the Nuggets went 0-3. That was definitely surprising. And, uh, I mean, they lost to Portland, Phoenix, and Chicago, so it's not like they were playing bad teams. Um, but you still expect them to win at least one of those games, at least go 1-2 and two in that stretch. Because if you look at it, I mean, obviously, way too early in the season. But they are 9-9, nine and nine, so if anybody else below them starts to, starts to play better, all of a sudden that could be, they could be slipping up when it comes to the playoffs. And, I mean, I said it at the beginning of the season, there are at least nine good teams in the West. The, the one through nine in the West right now, as it stands, is Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, Dallas, the Clippers, Portland, the Lakers, Memphis, and Denver. All nine of those teams I could easily see as playoff teams. I think that's pretty simple. You add, you take the eight teams that were in it last year, and then you add in Golden State as the number one seed overall in the league. Those are nine very, very quality playoff teams so to be so this early in the season, you do not want to be losing that many games in a row, no matter who you're playing. Uh, the next team I will go with, the Miami Heat, who went one and two this week. Uh, this one was more about the schedule and who they lost to. They only got a win over Detroit this week. They lost to Minnesota and Washington. And by the way, as I said, Detroit has lost five in a row. Uh, so that's not necessarily a, <laughs> it's not necessarily a good team to be to have as your only win of the week. Um, and the Heat got Jimmy Butler back from injury recently, so you expect them to play a lot better, but they haven't, and uh, I think that's easily able to be put on this list just because of that alone, and I think just overall, 1-2 and two just isn't good enough. Uh, the next team I'm going with, the Clippers, also 1-2, and two, pretty much the same situation that uh, Denver is in, where 
You really don't want to be slipping down the standings this early in the year because it's going to be hard to come back from it. We even saw last year the Lakers didn't make the playoffs, but they were a team that was way better than playing in the play-in games. And yet because of their early season struggles and inability to win when LeBron was out and when AD was out, all of a sudden it came back to bite them. They played in the play-in, they played extra games, and then the Suns were just too good for them when they had to play them. Uh, without home field advantage, they had to play the number two seed, and that came back to bite them. So that will always happen. You cannot, you, you can't fall all the way down to the seven seed. I mean, the Clippers are still in good position even after this week. They're still in the five seed position. Obviously, again, way too early, but still, uh, if you if you're looking at this, that's about the range you probably want to stay, and you can't really fall below that. Then you're going to be playing really, really, really tough games for the rest of the year, um, and definitely in the playoffs. So. Uh, it's good to be able to have that stretch and have the luxury to not be almost outside of the playoff picture entirely, but still, uh, you don't want to have this happen early in the season. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Kawhi Leonard, and even when he comes back, or if he comes back, you never know how that will affect the synergy of the team and how that's rolling, because they've now gotten very, very used to playing without him. Now having an entire offseason playing without him, having a playoff series and a half playing without him, and having the first 20 games of this season playing without him, so... That they've definitely developed kind of a way that they play without him. So it's interesting to see what might happen when he's back. But for now, uh, I'll move on from the Clippers, talking about the Washington Wizards, who are the four seed in the East, currently at 11-7, and seven, right behind Miami and Chicago. But this week, uh, besides a win against Miami, they lost to New Orleans and Charlotte. As I said, if you lost to New Orleans, you are going to end up on the other side of this. Uh, and that is what happened to the Wizards. Um, but overall, I mean, not terrible. But the way the Wizards started out this year, they've kind of they've kind of roughly uh, roughly progressed through the rest of the season. Uh, they had a very very hot start, and then you know just kind of cooled off. But that's not what you want to see from a team, especially when they had a really hot stretch at the end of last year uh, when Russell Westbrook was just going off, getting triple double after triple double, and then set the triple doubles record. Um, and then obviously Russ not there anymore, but uh, they I, you thought maybe they'd be able to carry some of the momentum into the season, and they kind of did to start the year, but now they are not able to sustain that success, and they look like the beginning of the year last year, that, that kind of Wizards team, which is not something you'd like to see because that is not a good type of team to, to look like. That That's not going to go well for them in the rest of the season, so... Uh, that is my final team, though, for my most disappointing games. All right, and let's wrap up the look at the NBA with your player of the week. A guy who I imagine will be on here a few more times, just like Steph Curry later in the year. Uh, Damian Lillard averaged 32 points per game this week, three rebounds, 7.3 assists, and one block per game. Uh, he he missed. He uncharacteristically shot 96.7% from the free throw line instead of 100%. I mean, how dare Dame miss two or three free throws over the course of a week? You can't do that. Uh, but look, Dame is just ridiculous. We all know this. I don't think I need to say anything about his greatness or anything. We all know. Um, and the Blazers had a decent week, and they're 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 kind of rounding into form. And it looks like finally, instead of playing terrible for half the year and then starting to play well right at the end of the season, the Blazers are starting to do it early enough that they might actually be able to claim a good seed. And you never know what can happen when you start having home field advantage again. Uh, like they did that one year where they made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. So we'll see what the we'll see what the Blazers could do um, with the rest of the season. But for now, Dame playing well, that's something that Portland fans are definitely happy about. All right, well, that wraps up our look at the NBA. Let's turn our attention to college basketball. Let's start with the biggest upsets of the past week. 
Uh, nothing much happened on Friday or on Saturday, but on Sunday, the upset started to roll in. Arizona beat number four Michigan 80 to 62. Although I will say, if the upset happened 13 or 14 hours later, Arizona might have actually been ranked one or two spots behind Michigan to begin with, uh, as Michigan had not yet been uh, put down in the rankings from losing to Seton Hall at home earlier in the week. Uh, which we talked about in the last podcast, and Arizona had not been moved up, obviously, yet because the new rankings hadn't come out for beating Wichita State the night before and for really looking pretty good in that game. Uh, so not as big of an upset as it as it looked uh, when you're going to look at it on ESPN and you see unranked beating number four. And right now, I believe Arizona's actually ranked ahead of Michigan. So at this point, it doesn't even seem like it's an upset at all. But at the time, it was still an upset, and it wasn't a huge one, but... Uh, Arizona just pretty much outplayed Michigan in everything. They had less turnovers. Uh, that was their big weakness against Wichita State is that they were up by 15 and they had like 20 or 25 turnovers and that really let them into the game. And I mean, I think I've, I, I maybe I haven't said it on the podcast before, but I always think about it. Whenever a team wins a game without playing well, you better watch out for them the next game because they'll fix those mistakes temporarily. And when they fix the mistakes, especially if you have a good talented team, all of a sudden that team is playing mistake-free, and now you really can't beat them, especially if you're making mistakes of your own. Michigan almost played too well for its own good against UNLV. Uh, scraped out a win uh, on Friday night in that game by, I think, 10 or 12 points. But 13. but in the end, they failed to... They didn't blow them out, and so they didn't blow them out to get a lot of confidence. And they also didn't keep it close enough to the point where the coaches could really get on them about pl- doing bad things and playing badly. Really, overall, good defense play, but... In this Arizona game, too many turnovers, foul trouble early for Devontae Jones, the starting point guard who has now been in foul trouble in pretty much every single game. Uh, And that really is just going to lead to a lot of problems. You can't beat any team turning the ball over 20 times. Uh, And by the way, we're not going to talk about this game formally, so I'll say it here. Michigan continued that problem against Tarleton State, which is an even, I mean, we, yeah, we're not comparing Tarleton State to Arizona. I think you all know where they stand in relation to each other. But you can't keep turning the ball over like this. It's, it's a pretty simple thing. And I think any team, the one thing that, that's the saving grace for Michigan is that they're still somewhat in these games, turning the ball over 20 times. If they can just play even 12, 10 turnovers, they'll they'll go back to the top five form that we think they will. And, they, and I mean, coaches have said it themselves, even as reliable as the source of it is, Tarleton State's coach said that Michigan was the best, the most talented team they played all year. They already played Kansas this year. So that's those are big words for them. And by the way, they play Gonzaga on Monday, so he's not going to be saying that anymore. But th- those are, that's pretty big praise. And I think overall, by the way, there's a lot of that this year. And uh, I think I mentioned it when in my article that I wrote on my website that it's really just experience, which is separating. We thought Michigan, Purdue, and Illinois were all in this big top 10-ish team in the country, big top dogs in the Big Ten. And in reality, the ones who are playing the best are just the ones with the most experience. I would even make the argument that Michigan State's the second-best team in the Big Ten if the season ended today. And it's only because they have experience and they've played together and they have continuity. Even if you're talking about grad transfer point guards, he still hasn't played with the rest of the team. So there's no continuity in the roster, and a lot of the guys playing are freshmen. So that's what's going to happen early in the season. And then when you confound it with turnover problems, you're not going to play well. Yeah, I think Michigan is a, Michigan is a classic team to prove uh, exactly what you're saying. Michigan lost four experienced players from the roster. Mike Smith. More than four. Shondi Brown. Um, Austin Davis. And Isaiah Livers. 
They lost those four key and and and, and top ten pick Frank Franz, Franz Wagner, Wagner so out of all people to forget. So yeah, they, they, Michigan has lost a ton of experience from last year's team, and you see it takes a while. Like you said, they're bringing an experienced point guard and a bunch of freshmen. They are a team that proves your point. The key is how much they improve over the rest of the year. Sorry to interject. Yeah, and that will be that will be that that's the that stands the test of time. Is the question is. Is Michigan going to be a classic example of last year's Kentucky, where they start out top ten, and just because there's no there's nobody who's been with each other on the roster, there's barely any returning players, they just flop out and literally don't even make the tournament after starting the season top ten. I don't think that will happen because Hunter Dickinson there is enough experience because obviously. Hunter Dickinson, Eli Brooks, and Brandon Johns have played together. Kentucky literally had not a single player playing right. with each other before. They had one returnee three freshmen and three grad transfers that were basically their entire rotation. So they had no prior experience with each other. Michigan just has three and then some freshmen, and I think they'll figure it out eventually. However, speaking of a team who hasn't figured it out yet either, uh, Cincinnati beat number 14 Illinois 71-51. Fun fact about this game, Illinois was up by 15. Cincinnati closed the game on a 50-15 run. Not to mention the fact that this was actually Illinois with Kofi Coburn, not like the Marquette loss, which was by one point because of a stupid turnover, because of a bad defensive play on the last play of the game, where really it's just does the guy make the final shot uh, kind of a loss, but and and without your best player on the floor, this ha- this time this loss was with your best player on the floor, neutral court, not even on the road, you lost straight up, uh, and I think Illinois also has the same long-term issues that Michigan does. They have to figure out how to play with the new guys and really define their roles again because... Michigan had more quantity of players that left, but Illinois probably had the highest quality player leave out of anybody in college other than Iowa with Luca Garza. The second guy below him is Io DeSumo from Illinois last year. And he was the team he was only second in rebounding on their team to Kofi Coburn. He led them in every single other stat other than blocks, which was also led by Kofi Coburn. He, he led them in points, he led them in assists, and he led them in steals. And he was a floor general. And he was also their starting point guard. And uh, and also, he's just a matchup nightmare too, which I might add for college teams. So they just don't have that guy who's a matchup nightmare this year, and they also don't have their point guard. And I think eventually Andre Corbello and Kofi Coburn and the rest of the roster will kind of build that synergy, and they'll figure out how... They can create distractions to get Kofi more open buckets because that's the other thing Io did. You had to guard him so tough that you could just lose Kofi, which seems like an impossible task <laughs> to lose to lose one of the best players in the country. But when you have another guy with him on the court who's also one of the best, you're going to do that. Not not happening without Io right now. So uh, either somebody's got to step up and make it so that other people start losing him, or you just have to play better as a team and kind of get more sets that get Kofi open uh, just through really just making detailed plans and plays. Um, But moving on from that to another Big Ten team, actually a few of them, but these times these teams won. Ohio State beat number 21 Seton Hall, 79-76. Pretty much the exact same game that Seton Hall and Michigan played uh, earlier last week, except for the one difference was instead of Seton Hall making the shot in the clutch and Michigan missing a shot in the clutch, Seton Hall missed the shot in the clutch and Ohio State made a three by Michi Johnson to win this game. Uh, that was pretty much the difference in the game. I mean, it was really the only difference. Ohio State was leading at, at the half and was leading by eight or nine pretty late in the game, but uh, Seton Hall made a good run to come back, and uh, eventually they got it all the way to the point where Ohio State needed the buzzer beater. Moving on from that, this is a really surprising upset, honestly. Wisconsin beat number 12 Houston 65-63. to They lost to Providence at home, but then come out 
and beat the number 12 Houston Cougars, who were, by the way, a Final Four team last year. That is a very, very surprising uh, upset. And I will say, I do think that Wisconsin was without Johnny Davis, though, when they lost to Providence, and he's the best player on their team. Uh, so it's not surprising that you get your best player back. And I don't know if he was actually missing the game. I just didn't see him make that much of an impact when I was watching it. So he could have been in foul trouble, too. But uh, if he's playing at his best, Wisconsin is actually a very, very good team. Uh, last year, we kind of saw them unravel at the end of the season. But up until the end of the year, Wisconsin was ranked in the top 15 for most of the season uh, and then fell off by losing four or five games out of their last six when uh, they played a bunch of better teams. They played Michigan a few times. They played Michigan State. They played Illinois. When they started playing the better teams, uh, they, they lost some games and then they slipped down in the tournament to an eight seed and kind of vanished off the map because they lost to North Carolina in the first round. So uh, everybody kind of forgot about them heading into this year, but they really didn't lose that much production other than Micah Potter. Uh, so overall, they are still a good team, and I still believe they can be one of the better teams in the Big Ten. Not one of the top teams, but one of the better ones. Uh, but this win against Houston was still surprising, but it sets up Wisconsin for a good rest of the season. They're going to take some momentum into the rest of the years. They also won that event that they were in uh, with a championship game win over St. Mary's, I believe, the next day. Um, Iowa State beat number 25 Xavier, 82-70. to Iowa State kind of under the radar a bit. Uh, not necessarily, they haven't really been that good in a while, but they are still a program who's had some success in the past and is able to sustain it if they get the right players and the right uh, system in place. So I can definitely see them having a good run this year and being good this year. We'll see what happens in the championship game of that event that they're playing right now, um, but which is against Memphis, which is a very, very, very tough uh, tough ask to win that game. Um, but moving on from that, this one was the biggest upset of the week by far. Iona, Rick Pitino University, beat number 10 Alabama 72-68 to uh, at an event in in uh, at Walt Disney World, uh, which is, I mean, I don't know. Orlando, was, Florida. No, but I was going to say, there. I was surprised, but there was no one there. I guess nobody wants to spend their vacation in, uh, I guess nobody wants to spend Thanksgiving in Orlando. Maybe it's... A little Iron, more attractive to be in the Bahamas. Iron Bowl weekend. Yeah, that might be part of it too. But maybe it's a little more tra- attractive to be in the Bahamas for uh, for Thanksgiving instead, or maybe in uh, or maybe in Vegas for some people apparently. Um, but Iona comes out with this win. Ironically enough, this was actually an NCAA tournament rematch from the first round last year, where Alabama was losing for a majority of the game and won. This game was the exact opposite. But Alabama will tell you, "Yeah, we'll take it. We got to the Elite Eight because of beating them last year. We'll take the early season loss and take our Elite Eight appearance as the uh, as the consolation prize for this early season, probably ending up meaningless loss." Don't be surprised to see Iona ranked next week, and then don't be surprised to see them lose a bunch of games in a bad conference and eventually not even make the tournament. So uh, I will say that uh, and move on from that. Michigan State beating number 22, UConn, 64-60. I'm very high on this Michigan State team, as you've already heard by me saying they might be the second-best team in the Big Ten right now. I really believe that last year, the end of the year, was more who they are than the beginning of the year. They had a terrible start to the year where everybody was saying, oh, they're already locked out of the tournament because there's no way they're going to win these games, et cetera, et cetera. Then all of the games that everybody said they couldn't win, they won. They beat Ohio State at the end of the year. They beat Michigan one out of two times when they played each other back-to-back. They beat Purdue. Uh, They also beat Wisconsin, I believe, at the end of the year, and everybody realized, oh, wow, they're actually good. And guess what? They were in overtime with UCLA in the first four game last year in the tournament. They were that close to having the exact same path that Final Four team UCLA had to get all the way there, and yet just because they blew that 15-point lead 
uh, in that first four game, they don't even end up making the real part of the tournament. So it's crazy to think about, but you look at it, Michigan State is in the exact same position UCLA was in at the end of the year last year. UCLA starts the year ranked number two. Michigan State starts the year unranked. I don't see that much of a discrepancy. Obviously, there is there's a decent there's a decent talent discrepancy, I think, and UCLA returned everybody. But I really don't see that much different between Michigan State and UCLA. Uh, I don't see that much separation, and I also don't see that much separation because I also think Michigan State would lose by 20 to Gonzaga, too. Uh, but let's move on, I guess, now to the close games. Maryland, number 20, beat Hofstra 69-67. I'm not even going to continue to talk about Maryland. Let's just say this. They can't beat a team by more than, like, five points. They did it. They, they lost to George Mason, first of all. Uh, they barely beat Hofstra. They also barely beat, I believe it was George Washington earlier in the week, so, or earlier in last week. Uh, moving on from that, number 22, St. Bonaventure beat Clemson 68-65. to This was a championship game in an event that I can't remember the name of, but Clemson, a decent team. Uh, it, might, it might have been the Myrtle Beach Invitational, I think. Uh, Clemson played Clemson played well. Clemson's been good uh, last few years a little bit. And Bonaventure started the year ranked because of what they did heading into the tournament last year and also returning everybody. Similar situation to UCLA or even Michigan State. Um, moving on from that, I'll go with the next win. The next two wins are both by the same team. They did them in back-to-back days. Number six, Purdue beat number 18, North Carolina, 93 to 84. Came back the next day and beat number five, Villanova, 80 to 74. Uh, on a neutral court, mind you, both of them on back-to-back days. Huge wins for them. Really, I see Purdue right now as the second best team in the country. I am willing to say that. I will say, I, I said it last week, I don't think anybody's beating Gonzaga for now. I'll have to see other teams get better by the end of the year. Uh, and by the way, we'll see later tonight with Duke playing them. But for now, I see Gonzaga as, un- as unbeatable, at least in the beginning part of the season. I also see Purdue as unbeatable other than by Gonzaga for the very beginning of the year. I really see this as a possible kind of Gonzaga and Baylor situation from last year, or even go so far as to say where there was a point where it was Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan who were the top three, and everybody knew no one was going to beat them unless it was Illinois or unless it was Texas in the Big 12 uh, when it comes to Baylor. So I really think Purdue is in that position right now. Uh, I don't know who they play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but that might be an interesting game. We'll have to see. Although I know that uh, they uh, maybe they play Duke, but I know that Michigan drew North Carolina. They drew the really tough matchup there. So uh, we'll see who Purdue plays there, and that might be a game that they lose. I know they're not playing North Carolina because, hey, they already play them, and B, Michigan plays them. But other than that, I don't know who they play. Maybe they do play Duke. Maybe it's not Duke. I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably not. I bet it might be Michigan State who's playing Duke because that, that's kind of more of a big-time matchup. Um, But moving on from Purdue, who, by the way, is really, really playing well, and like I said, is probably the second-best team in the country. Uh, Number 13, Arkansas beat Cincinnati 73-67. Cincinnati did look good after their win against... They look like a good team after their win against Illinois. So uh, I'm I'm not going to say that Arkansas being close in this game makes them a bad team. Uh, I think they were really just actually playing against a decent team in Cincinnati, and this game deserved to be close. So good win by Arkansas in a close game. Then we have number nine, Memphis, beating Virginia Tech, 69-61. Virginia Tech was another situation where they had a lot of experienced players return from last year from a decent tournament team. Um, And I think that Memphis's win here, again, it's one of those games where I don't think you can be maligned for winning by a decent margin against a good team, so I won't really say much about it, but it was a close game and worth mentioning. Here's the big one, probably the game of the year so far. Number 22, UConn, beat number 19, 
115 to 109 in double overtime. Both teams shot over 50% from the three-point line in this game. Number 19, Auburn. Yeah, number 19, Auburn. So what did I say? You just said number 19. It's okay. Oh, okay, I'll number 19. Back. No, I was just wondering. Uh, I was like, did I say number UConn beat UConn or something? Uh, but anyway, uh, number 19, Auburn, yeah, lost that game. I mean, 100 points is fun to watch. I'll tell you, that game was really, really fun to watch. It almost felt like it was an NBA game, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of shooting. It was a lot of threes made. Uh, UConn had the game in their hands. UConn had the game in their hands and really gave it up at the end of the at the end of the uh, at the end of the second half to force it into overtime. And then some great shot at, shot making to go back and forth in overtime. Uh, and I mean, if you look at if you want to see how high scoring this game was, keep in mind overtime is five minutes. In the two overtime periods combined, the score was thirty-two to twenty-six in favor of UConn. So if you take that to a whole game, they could have scored one hundred and twenty if they were scoring at the pace they scored in the two overtimes. Yeah, that game was ridiculous. Uh, easy, easy starting of the uh, beginning of the year game of the year candidate uh, up there with UCLA Villanova for now is really the only two overtime games that I can remember for uh, for now. Uh, then you have number twenty-three Florida who beat Ohio State seventy-one to sixty-eight. Uh, Ohio State obviously had the win earlier in the week over Seton Hall, an upset win. I was not a strong believer in this Florida team, although they were in a really situation, uh, really similar situation, I would say. Two teams like, I'll say it again, I keep adding to this list, but experienced teams uh, who returned a lot of players from a tournament team like Virginia Tech, like Michigan State, like UCLA, like Gonzaga, they are in that same position. Uh, but again, kind of flew under the radar to begin the year. And uh in the end, they get this win in this uh, in this other invitational. This was the Fort Myers tip-off. See, I, see, test my knowledge about this. I know all these random events that they have to start the year. Uh, but this Florida win, I mean, I'm starting to believe more and more in Florida for now. Uh, we'll see what happens when they get into conference play, especially when they start playing teams like Kentucky and Tennessee uh, that are really, really good in the ASCC and even, um, even Auburn, too. But... I think for now, they're definitely looking like they can contend with those teams in the SEC. Also throw Auburn, uh, not Auburn, I already said Auburn. See, I didn't say Auburn before, and now I'm saying Auburn too much. What I meant to say was Arkansas also deserves to, uh, they belong in that list too, Arkansas. And uh, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee really seem to be the top of the SEC. And then I would say I would place Auburn and uh, Florida right below them, but still as very, very good teams. And, you know... We'll just have to see who ends up winning when those teams start playing each other. That's really going to decide who are the best teams in that conference. Um, but moving on, uh, let's go to the ranked matchups of the week. Sorry, I'm stealing your thunder there as a host a little bit, but uh, I'm kind of in a good flow Besides here. Besides the two Purdue matchups we already mentioned. Right, yeah. I mean, well, there are a lot of there are a lot of ranked matchups that I already mentioned, but uh, I, I these were the ones that weren't These were not close, close ranked Yeah, these matchups. were not close ones. <laughs> Moving yeah. on to not close ranked matchups of the week. Yeah, uh, Tennessee involved in two of the three. Number five, Villanova beat number 17, Tennessee, 71-53. And number 17, Tennessee, after losing to Villanova, beat number 18, North Carolina, 89-72. So you had Villanova come in, play really, really well, pretty much blow Tennessee out of the water, and then after Purdue, after Purdue knocked North Carolina to the, uh, I guess, consolation game in that in that tip-off event, uh, North Carolina comes out and does not play very well against Tennessee, and Tennessee really beats up on North Carolina, uh, takes out all their rage from only scoring 53 points against Villanova and drops 89 on North Carolina. Uh, Tennessee, as I said, kind of belongs in that tier with uh, maybe with the top teams like Kentucky and the SEC and uh, Arkansas too. But 
Uh, we'll have to see how it turns out again when they st- when those teams start playing each other. I'm really excited for conference play to start after seeing these tournaments where these uh, where all these teams in power conferences are playing great teams from other conferences. I just want to see them play the teams in their conferences at this point. Luckily, some of these some of these conferences have uh, taken the model of doing a few early conference games to get a little bit of an appetizer for the conference season. So that will start soon. You, you're, the uh, the Big East Big Twelve challenges relatively soon. The Big Ten ACC challenge is the most is the next game for most of the teams in those two conferences. Uh, a lot of them are you know taking Thanksgiving off and then going straight into that tournament, which will start on Monday and I think carry all the way to Wednesday or Thursday. Um, and then finally, moving on from conference matchups and potential there, uh, which I'm not so excited to see Gonzaga's conference matchups, but in these games early in the season that they scheduled to make their resume look good for the NCAA tournament, and that's all the one and only reason they are scheduling these games, you know they don't want to play these games, number one Gonzaga killed number two UCLA, 83-63. to 63. Uh, This game was never close, it was never in doubt, it was over from like five or six minutes into the game, Gonzaga went on a huge run to start the game, and UCLA might have played them even for maybe 30, maybe 25 to 30 minutes of the game. But when you're already down 20, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Gonzaga is just way better than UCLA. I think they were probably mad that they only beat them by so much in the tournament last year. And guess what? UCLA loses nobody. Gonzaga loses Corey Kispert. They lose Jalen Suggs. They come back. They add Chet Holmgren. And they add uh, they add some other recruits too, obviously. But Chet Holmgren being kind of the big name of it, but they keep Drew Timmy, and guess what? It doesn't matter. Gonzaga was way better than UCLA all of last year. The UCLA was ranked high because of a tournament run. That is, frankly, kind of rare. Baylor won the national championship and was not ranked top 10 to start the year, somehow ranked behind a UCLA team that didn't even make it to that game. And by the way, Baylor destroyed Gonzaga last year. Baylor did lose their three starting guards, but... Gonzaga lost two of their three starting guards, so I don't really see how how these teams got ranked that way. Um, I, I honestly can't see it because what I see is you have UCLA and you can either take two UCLA's. You either take Final Four UCLA or you take 11 seed UCLA who almost lost to Michigan State in the play-in game to the tournament. And I don't think, well I actually should say, I don't think you can take either of those teams as just including one of them, I think you have to do a combination of the two to really figure out where they stand and then match them up against other teams. I don't think they're I don't think they're a top five team. I'm gonna be quite honest. I don't think I also it's actually interesting. The two top ten teams that I had the least belief in before the season were UCLA and Villanova. So when they played each other, I was like, I'm either gonna think that UCLA is as good as I thought they were and Villanova's as bad as I thought they were, or if Villanova wins, I'm gonna really think UCLA's not that good because they lost at home to a team that they're supposed to be better than. But I will say I definitely think I, I would say that I have more belief in Baylor. I have more belief in Gonzaga. I definitely have more belief in Purdue. And I could see a, ta- a team with more talent like Memphis, who is a little bit of a younger team but has more talent. I could see them being better than UCLA or even Villanova by the end of the season for sure. Uh, and by the way, Duke has the same situation. Don't count them out. And we'll see what Duke does against Gonzaga and compare Duke to UCLA with a common opponent under their belt. Because if Duke can keep it close against Gonzaga, that pretty much cements that it wasn't just Gonzaga playing well for one night. This is just who Gonzaga is, but that would mean other teams are just better. I think it's simple. Yeah, I'm not sure we're really going to see how good UCLA is in conference play because, because there's the tra- n- traditional nobody. powers 
and teams that have been good in the last few years, they're not good. Well, speaking of it, I don't know how I didn't mention any of these games, but I guess they didn't turn into upsets. Oregon looks terrible. Oregon started the year in the top 15. I was a big believer in Oregon, too, because they took a pretty good team that that should have won the Pac-12, frankly. Um, and they ended up adding uh, Quincy Guerrier, a transfer from Syracuse, uh, one of Syracuse's best players, and they just have not been able to put it together. It really shows uh, how much of an impact Chris Duarte had on that team, and he's having a great NBA, a great start to his NBA career, contending for Rookie of the Year for sure uh, while playing for Indiana. But uh, it really shows his impact because they have not looked the same at all. They have looked terrible to start the year. They got killed by Houston. Uh, they got killed at home by BYU. By the way, BYU looking really, really good. I will say Gonzaga actually does have competition in conference. Yeah, you know what? Gonzaga might be tested more in mm-hmm. conference than UCLA is, frankly. Uh, as terrible as it sounds, it might be true. The one team that, I mean, the second place team in the Pac-12 is probably USC at this point, who's at the bottom of the rankings, probably. Or maybe Arizona, I guess, is probably the other one. Arizona looks to be the strongest challenger at this point. I think so, too. But I think it's just Arizona and USC. I mean, and by the way, Arizona pretty much just flip-flops with Oregon as like a good, unranked team. Uh, and Arizona becomes kind of the top 15 type team. So, really, you're right. There, There's not much standing in UCLA's path. And these games at the beginning of the season, uh, they're, they're pretty telling of who you are. And uh, we'll see. And by the way, speaking of uh, the, of that UCLA-Villanova game and that early of the year test, Villanova will be tested, and we will really see who they are when they play through the Big East because the Big East looks like probably the best it's been in a few, in definitely three or four years right now, uh, especially with their performance in the, in, the, in the challenge there against the Big Ten in the Gavit games. So we'll see if they can continue that for the rest of the season. They're also having some decent turnouts in, in some other events too right now, so I think the Big East is really good. Um, but... We'll have to see what happens in that for the rest of the season, but I will say for sure I am a strong believer in Gonzaga. I am not thinking so highly of UCLA at the moment. All right, well, that ends our look back at uh, college basketball action. It also ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, November 29th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and discuss all the big action in college football coming up this weekend and the NFL action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted yesterday, the 13th installment of our college football top 25 poll, which will be on Tuesday, and a drastically changed NCAA basketball tournament bracket on Saturday. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.